I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Well, when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going, so I opened up. We're only the small little fish out there, so we are, and uh, we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know, and it's just, I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Walford today, because, like, I'm, hard, I'm heartbroken. <laughs> So this was a huge final, um, Brian. It was massive. Cork were on 28 All-Ireland. Kilkenny were on 28 All-Ireland. Kilkenny were going for three in a row. Two of the big, the two biggest uh, traditional counties going head-to-head. 2004, what a massive All-Ireland this was. And this was a repeat of the previous year's one, which Kilkenny had won late on. So there was, a, there was an awful lot uh, of excitement around this final. Yeah, huge amount riding on it, to be fair. And... I think the year previous had really added to the appetite and the bite that came in that 2004 final because in 2003, you know, Cork kind of felt that they left it behind them. Um, you know, again, it was a tight, tense affair. It was, I think the score was 114 to 111 in 2003, but they felt that, you know, Kilkenny got a soft goal and Cork poked a lot of wide. So they kind of, they didn't feel like to perform. So that kind of gave Cork that little bit of belief going into that 2004. I learned that they were as good as Kilkenny, if not better. And then, you know, the the, the fact that they were trying to stop Kilkenny doing that three in a row. And as you said, the, the fact that Kilkenny could could equal them on the, the, the 28 titles each, you know, all those little things added into it at the time. So, yeah, it led for a massively interesting final. And, and it was very tight and tense, in, particularly in that first half. Yeah, and both teams had been beaten in the championship that year. That was the first time that ever happened. So um, Cork had been beaten in the Munster final. That, as far as I'm concerned, the greatest game ever played. Well, the greatest game I've ever watched. Yeah. Um, and Kilkenny were beaten. Kilkenny were beaten by Wexford, and Wexford went on to play a county called Offaly in the Leinster yeah. final. And you were playing. <laughs> Yeah, my one and only Leinster final appearance. And I tell you, David Henry won that Leinster final for, for Wexford. He was unbelievable inside in the goal. But yeah, Wexford just pipped Kilkenny. And there's, um, obviously, the goal is famous. You know, Peter Barry was locked down by by Michael Jacob and he swiveled and, and roofed it up into the net. But the most uh, probably infamous thing about that picture was that Cody was actually there at the canal end or the Davin stand. Um, trying to marshal, I suppose, the full back line at the time and just drops to his knees. You never see Cody, you know, displaying any type of emotion unless he's given out or something. Um, but he just drops to his knees in pure, you know, anguish after that goal was scored. He knew the game was over and there was no time for Kenny to come back. So I think that's an amazing one. Yeah, it definitely is. I thought one of the, the best, my favourite parts of the whole game watching it back was Michael Dykeman on the commentary. So Donald Love was going with the short puck out. Um, at the time, and 
some of them were short, but they were incredible. Even when he went long, they were of a low trajectory. Like, I mean, he had incredible uh, um, skill at being able to get a good bit of distance with a low trajectory. And he was trying to hit the half forward line, but trying to hit it in front of them rather than dropping it down on them. Like, I mean, so this was, this was uh, innovative and it was new. But Michael Dignan said on the commentary, and I'm quoting him because I wrote it down because I thought it was a classic. We've been talking all summer about these short puckouts from Cork. They're a disaster. There's no place in hurling. There's no place in hurling. Let it out long and let your men fight for it. They shouldn't be on the field if they can't fight for a 50-50 ball. He said in the commentary. Now, I'm not, it's not meant as a dig at Michael Dignan. This was 2004, so it's all, yeah. all relative at the time. But this, he said this after one of the short ones went astray, and I think Kenny got a point. I'm not, I'm not sure who got it. But this, you know, this was this was new, and this was a disgraceful kind of carry on. <laughs> yeah, I was laughing away myself when I, when I was listening to it, and he, he was totally against it. And it was high risk from Cork, and it wasn't working off. Uh, working out in that probably that first 15 or 20 minutes because Kenny interrupted a few of them or intercepted them and they turned them over they got a point as you said he got lucky with the referee at one stage a, a, a puck out went straight over the line but he was pulled back and so but in fairness to Cork they stuck with it as you said they were trying to get that ball in front of that half forward line because any ball that went down high between Ben O'Connor and JJ like JJ just mopped up he was just phenomenal he, he never gave Ben O'Connor a sniff with that day and then obviously Peter Barry was was so strong in the air but you know Niall McCarthy gave him huge trouble by getting out in front of him and winning that ball that you're talking about that low trajectory ball and moved Peter Barry out of that centre half back position and Tommy Walsh and, and Timmy McCarthy probably had a bit of a better contest between the two of them um, it was probably more 50-50 in terms of the puck outs. Um, so you could see why, what Cork were trying to do. And my, I have to say hats off to them that they stuck to it practically for the whole yeah. game. You know, they didn't they didn't just start lumping the ball down because, you know, that was kind of innovation from probably Don Logue in particular. You know, he his puck outs were just second to none. And look, the stories behind the levels that he used to go to where he had like, mannequins or dummies out in the field like with hurls up you know and he was practicing you, know, you often see it in soccer where you have like that dummy wall yeah yeah like a free kick. He, he had that with like hurls strapped to them um up over it so that he was practicing these puck outs so he'd get the trajectory right but have a guy you know in front of him with the hurls of blocking his view um so it just goes to the lengths that he went to and, and like i remember playing a game against cork down in parky cueve and I was marking, I think it was Sean Og at the time, and just, you know, you, you expect half hour and you're expected to filter out the field and, and provide cover to that midfield area um, and drop back. But I remember it was just like a game of cat and mouse with, with Don Log. He's watching everything. And I just took two steps kind of towards my own goal. And in a, like, click your fingers, blink of an eye, he just stuck the ball in Sean Og's hand. And it was just, like, I know, I just literally gave him that little tiny window of opportunity. And like right. 99 keepers out of 100 wouldn't even attempt to put that ball there. Um, so he, his poke outs were just on a different level completely. And it took years for any type of a team to even catch up at all. Do you think that the, do you think that, uh, the Dyden and Cusack kind of spat last year could have been kind of stemming from this? Because, you know, players are very sensitive and, you know, Donal Logue, would have been the innovator at the time, and Dignan's on co-commentary saying these puckers are a disaster. Do you know, like, because because Dignan, I think Cusick had said pretty much about, you know, he was talking about modern hurling, but he could easily have been talking about his innovation with the puckouts. So that you know, he could have been fighting back at that stage about something that he wasn't fighting back about. If you know, if you know what I mean. I do. I know what you mean because, like, later on in the game, Dermot Sullivan wins a ball in, in the second half and hand passes it back to Don Logue who clears the ball and you know I, ne- I didn't bat an island he got blocked down actually he, he did you're right oh sorry sorry he did get blocked down but it was the right thing to do from from Dermot Sullivan I, I mean when watching it now through this lens you know whatever 15-16 years later you think it was the right thing to do you know Don Logue had offered himself you see that now it's part, it's part and parcel of the game but uh, you know yeah, because Lagan went crazy about it at the time because you know 
as far as he was concerned, Dermot O'Sullivan should have been driving that down down the field. You know, and we, we contrast that. We were analysing Jor Kush the other day. In that situation, Jor Kush would have ran a couple of yards and he booted it down the field, you know, just to get it out of it. So <laughs> it just shows even in yeah. like, what, eight years, how much it had moved on. Um, that, and and Corp were well, willing to try those moved, sort of things. But, yeah, who moved it on, though? Corp really changed the game. And when you look, it, it wasn't a great example this game. We'll, we'll analyse no. it in part two. Because Cork weren't at their flowing best that day, but there's a lot of what Cork were doing in 2004 that is is in the modern game now in 2019 that we're championing. I'm talking about puckouts, completely changing, revolutionising puckouts, playing a running game, a possession game. The 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 you know not wasting ball. There was no clearances mm. from Cork. You know what I mean? They really were innovators that Cork team. Yeah. So there's probably there's a couple of dynamics going on there. Number one was Newtown Chandram won the Club All-Ireland that year and their game was built around the running game. They, they were the, the the first team to really imply that. So Cork were slowly transitioning into that running game and that's why we saw it only in parts in that All-Ireland, you know, or this All-Ireland 2004. It probably progressed further after that All-Ireland. Um, so that new that Newtown Chandram running game was, was the first um, insight of that and Joel Cunningham from Limerick not to be confused with Joel Cunningham the goalie of, with Cork uh, he was highly instrumental in that um, and actually the reason I know that is because he was involved in UL and has been for years and uh, we, he coached us that running style system and got us with a pretty ordinary um, team we got to a Fitzgibbon final and were beaten in 2005 by LIT so I got a huge insight into that type of running game and running channels and r- runners coming off the shoulder and you know, not again. It it's probably lends itself to a lot of football approach. You know, give and go, and, and the runner keeps going. But uh, you know, it, it was it was certainly alien to the the way that you know hurling was at the time, and and Cork were hugely, you know, innovative in that perspective. So that running game probably came from Newtown, but then the puckouts and that like the use of Don Logan the goal that would have definitely stemmed from him. Like he is. And clearly, and it's been shown over the years with his his deep thinking of the game. You know, he was hugely innovative, and and you have to give him credit for that puck house strategy in particular. Yeah, it definitely made sense. You know, keeping possession rather than uh, getting rid of it. We had a helmet incident. You mentioned JJ. Like, I mean, it was almost unfair what JJ was doing to Ben O'Connor. He was giving him such a such a roast, and like he not, <laughs> and 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 gave him a bit, of, gave him gave him a bit of a clout down in the second half when. Uh, down under the was it under the Hogan stand but he just destroyed Ben O'Connor he destroyed him and Ben O'Connor probably under a bit of pressure being the car captain like and even in the first half JJ was roasting him out of it and then JJ caught a puck out while Ben O'Connor had hold of his face guard like he yeah. Ben O'Connor actually had his fingers holding JJ's face guard JJ couldn't have seen that ball and he still caught the second thing like it was still outrageous caught. stuff Still caught it and came down and gave him a nice little dunt into the into the head as well. Gave him a little, you know, rabbit punch into the face as well, just to make sure. Um, oh yeah, for sure. Look, we know how good JJ was in the air. It was just, it was a complete mismatch there in terms of putting high ball down on top of JJ and, and Ben O'Connor. That was the game. Yeah. You're dead right. Just whether it was high, low, you know, even Ben O'Connor running at JJ. JJ got away a few times with, tugging him back into him and just you know doing enough to to pull him back into the challenge or where Ben O'Connor might have to turn around and recycle the ball so no matter what Ben tried he couldn't just shrug him off at all I thought it was a masterclass of JJ It was it's actually easy to forget how good JJ was really like I mean he was just a phenomenally consistent like you just had to avoid his wing at all costs and that's it and what's your other option then let's go to Tommy Walsh's wing because he's not great in the air <laughs> like it was, yeah. And that, but that was Tommy's first year back at wing back. You have to remember. So like, you know, Tommy broke onto the scene. You know, he, oh, the he, year Tommy before was, he scored a, a great early point, didn't he? In two thousand three, wing forward he was, wasn't he? Got three point, He got three points yeah. in wing, wing forward. And like Tommy was never a forward. So like, look, I I know I went to school with Tommy, and he was always number four cornerback. Do you know? And Jackie Turl was really, seven. yeah, and Jackie was seven, and it ended up that the. You know, they both moved in the opposite directions. Jackie went to cornerback and, and Tommy went out to wingback, albeit over to the other side completely, over to number five. So Tommy was always a cornerback, never really hurled anywhere bar the full back line. Um, so it was it was just, it was it was a huge, probably from even from, from my 
it was a huge shock to see him up in the forward lane. That just shows how good a hurler he was. And, you know, playing wing forward, he got that famous goal against Tipperary as well, if you remember Brendan Cummins, kept batting it back out. And I eventually, it about five times, yeah. Yeah, and eventually Tommy finished the net. So that was Tommy's first year probably nailing down that number five position that he just dominated for, like, years to come thereafter, you know? Right. Timmy McCarthy there was um, in the first half. He got a ball, he got a free. And he got a ball out by the sideline, and he just got it out of his hand and threw it on ahead of threw him, and took the yeah. challenge and got the free. Sure, that's a, he's fouling the ball surely there. Like I mean, maybe is that a, is there a trick of the trade involved there where you might just let the ball fall out of your hand just to not get caught for over carrying it? Or yeah, well that was a complete obvious one. So that one was allowed back back then. You kind of it was a a widely practiced one you often see in Shefflin doing it where you usually just release the ball out of your hand and you know without breaking stride you were able to bounce it off the ground gather it back up in the hurl and you know you were back on your two catches you know so it was, yeah. it was a lovely bit of skill but you're right he just got that one and pegged it down the line four or five yards and <laughs> he threw it on that he just totally threw it it was the most obvious one the minute you saw it you were like oh free but Adam McSwiven obviously was the other side of him and didn't see the kind of the throwing action. He he probably thought, thought he released it. I know referees clamped down on that hugely there a couple of years ago. I think whatever it was like, it was not allowed in the game whatsoever there for four years. But it has crept it back in a little bit now over the last year or two. Right, right, okay. Here another thing that uh, came back into my memory was Ben O'Connor where he'd start with no helmet and then he'd put the helmet on. Have you any idea what he used to be doing there? That wasn't just, he did it in this game, but that, I, I, in my head, he used to do this regularly. Jeez, uh, yeah, you, I, to be honest, I never coughed that before. That's amazing. I, I've, I've often seen it, you know, and I did it myself back in the day. You take off your Taking helmet. Taking it off. Body. Yeah, but I yeah. never thought of starting without it and, and putting it on. Jesus, no, I don't, I, that's, a, that's a weird one. He's, he's a fierce man though for, um, yeah, Serious routine, obviously. I'd say he's hugely superstitious because watch his free taking. Um, he has to tap the ball up into his hand. He has to. I know. I know. We all follow routine and free takers, but he seems to be really bad. Um, and there was one free there where he kept tapping it until he got it up into his hand. Then he, you know, placed the ball at his toe and he moves his body in certain ways. So I'd say he was big into doing certain things in certain ways. So maybe that, you know, that tells a little bit of his personality. Maybe it was something that was in his head. Yeah, exactly. So Niall McCarthy got a free early and he celebrated. He swung the hurley around like he was going to chop somebody's head off and he was going all, he was all um, fired up and he was brilliant. We'll talk about him and performance the weekend. And I, I think I was saying it on the show recently that I was down as a Cork player first round of the Munster Championship in 2003, the year before, Satanto Halpin's debut. And he was marking Frank Lohan. And I never saw this before in my life. I was just taken aback watching this lad. How fired up. I'd never seen a lad fired up before. But he won a free. Of, I'm fairly sure he's marking Frank Lohan. And he won an early free. And he celebrated it. And he was all pumped up. And the free was taken. And the ball was put down. Uh, David Fitz off down the other end of the field. And Sedanto Halpin was still celebrating that free. He was walking around. Yeah, with his fist closed and he was pumped up. And now McCarthy was at the same thing in that game as well. And it was like, Jesus, these Cork boys mean business. There was a sports psychology to it, I'm sure. The way and now McCarthy definitely was he was still doing it in two thousand and four because he was at he was at it um he was at it in that game as well. Yeah, he was such a fiery character. He like he was a real kind of um when he hurled well, you know, he really got the car crowd behind him and I think the players themselves loved him you know you could see that they reveled off the way that he hurled he was so competitive in his in his, in his style he he just drove into fellas and obviously him getting three points in that Iron final day was, was a huge bonus but he, he delivered some beautiful ball as well so I, I think he was one of those kind of player favourites you know what I mean where the rest of the players just loved yeah, yeah, yeah. The, way, the way he played and, and they loved his style and they knew when he got psyched up like that kind of it, it edged into the rest of the team and the psyche be, beyond them so I think there was a, a little bit of met, met to his madness as well he won a sorry to come across him for a second he won a, a, a county final for his club like almost single-handedly, like you know, and it was it was just unbelievable, and it was a performance for the ages as well that day. So it just you know he's that really? type of an individual, yeah. He's um, you know, he he wasn't one to score, but he could really perform in the big days, you know. Yeah, 
So Satanta has been left and Cork are in big trouble. So they get Brian Corcoran back into the mix and they put him in full forward. Brian Corcoran won the Hurler of the Year in 1992 as a cornerback. I don't remember that. I'm not sure you do either. But for a cornerback to win a Hurler of the Year is incredible. 1999, he won Hurler of the Year again as a centre-back. And to be honest with you, would Cork, have been, would Cork have been doing anything in 2004 had he not come back? Hard to know whether they would they would have or not because he got first, their first point from play out of nothing on the 32nd minute and was kind of bullying uh, Noel Hickey, which you'd never really, never really see. No, you'd never see. And look, if you talk to Cork people, like they have Brian Corkin up as one of the greatest hurlers they've ever seen. You know, and when you when you stop and analyze his his um career like that, you know, the fact another type of hurler that could hurl anywhere. Um, you know, and his pace was uh, like was more or less gone at that stage, but he was still able to you know, he was very clever. He he knew where to run, he knew when to run with the ball, when not to run with it, and um, you know, he, he, his couple of scores were, were his, his, his first point was brilliant because Cork hadn't scored from playing because Kenny yeah. was very dominant in that early part of the game and he just you know he won a hard ball with no right to win it and drove forward and lovely jink got back on his right side and tapped it over the bar and it really settled Cork I think when, when he did that but you know Brian Cork and as I said talk to Cork people they rave about him like you know they put him up there with one of the greats of all times um, you know and, and he, he kind of he just brought something different to that Cork attack as well. You know, he was that that focal point in that full forward line, and the two smaller current forwards could kind of work off him. So, and, and brought huge experience. And I, and I know I've listened, um, and and talked to a good few of the Cork hurlers at the time, and they talk about how, you know, Cork were really ahead of the curve in terms of their strength and conditioning at the time as well. In that, um, you know, they were obviously sprinting hard and but their their runs had come down away from the laps of the field and they were back down to speed work and obviously that's where it kind of linked in with their running game so it was all about speed and you know sprints and that kind of thing but they made Brian Corkin because of his age profile sit out in, in runs so he might have to do every second sprint and, and stuff like this and he'd be going mental trying to run and they'd be like the strength and conditioning guy you'd be telling them no you, you're not to run trust me this is better for you so it just shows that they were putting that thought you know, in, into the process back in 2004, which was well ahead of the curve. Yeah, no, geez, they, they definitely were. So, uh, Brian Corcoran won Player of the Year in 1992 and 1999. So, who won it in 2004 when Cork won this All-Ireland? This is a quiz now, by the way. Yeah, I actually looked this up. Uh, I'm very surprised at this. Sean Ogan. <laughs> yeah, Sean Ogan. Geez, well, he's, from his performance you, you in, the, in the final, he was absolutely Yeah, just I mean, based on the final. Yeah, obviously, he had a brilliant year. But when you just look at that final in, in kind of a standalone lens, like, he was... Pretty look, he done his job. He 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 stopped a lot of ball, but he didn't hit a lot of ball. There was better performance certainly in the day. All right, we might agree to disagree on that one, um, Brian. We'll come back anyways and we'll talk about the match in part two. And the yeah. game takes on can very, very often then take on a life of its own. What's tactics? I mean, you got to make decisions and you got to decide what you're going to do. And at the end of the day, you hand it over to the players and the players play. You know, the game was fast, was furious, was, it had everything really. You know, and you, know, you don't have too much influence on what's happening. What happened last year? It goes out the window or the year before or whenever it was. Tipperary, don't go away. The they air is the air. And the yeah. game takes on can very very often then take on a life of its own. This is a weird game to actually analyse, um, Brian. Like, I mean, Kilkenny dominated the first half and should have been way further ahead. And they're going in, scratching their heads, wondering how the hell are we only a point up? Oh, totally. And for to be so low scoring as well, like seven points to six at half time, you know, that's a real throwback to hurling of the past. Um, and even within, what, 20 seconds, Eddie Brennan had a massive goal chance. And so unlike Eddie, you know, he ended up with four wides in the day, but he rushed, he shot, you know, he didn't yeah. bear down and goal like he usually does. Because, you know, fast Eddie was usually a goal assassin, you know, and, and he just kind of run away from goal, took a shot and went. Sherlock got a half hook on him and it just went harmlessly wide. So it was very unlike Kenny, you know, and I thought they were a little bit, even for the whole game, I thought they were a little bit greedy, 
um, which is not like Kenny either. They were all, bar maybe DJ popping out a couple of passes. You know, a lot of them were very quick to take their own shots. You know, and, and a couple of shots even from distance um, when there was other players open. So it was it was a bit a bit of a strange performance in Kenny, and obviously we'll talk later about their second half non-performance whatsoever. But you're dead right after you know after 20 minutes, Kenny looked like oh, had to be done all the hurling. You know, Cork hadn't scored from play until Brian Corkin got that point, and just I suppose they eventually started to realise that we're still in this game big time. Yeah, do you think the the Kenny forwards were rattled a bit? The Cork defence was absolutely outstanding. Like Henry Cheslin was dominated by Sean Ogahalpine. Um today even he was throwing goals in the first half and Sean Oga was tracking him. Uh Gardner uh came over on him and the rock was starting to close in on him. Do you know what I mean? And he was caught for over carrying. Like just Henry was just so off form and Eddie Brennan. You're talking about two of the greats having very poor games and DJ Carey had some nice little moments, you know, you could see his class, but wasn't really in it either. And I suppose you'd have to give credit to the Cork backs, their match their matchups were good. You know, Sean Oak was a good physical matchup for for Henry. Um, Eddie Brennan, you know, uncharacteristic wise, but sticky defenders as well. Yeah, and probably what struck me, particularly in that first half, was that the Cork defenders, you said there was two and three around every time I think Kenny forward say broke the half back line. They got back in numbers, and they obviously had the pace. And and the, the the physical conditioning to stay with them, you know, and stay hounding them, and they didn't foul. I think that was the big thing. Whereas Kilkenny, uh, you know, they fouled way too often. They were very physical, um, but they were giving away too many handy frees to Cork, you know, and they kept Cork probably in that game with frees alone. Um, whereas you know Cork were that little bit more disciplined and and they stuck to their task. It was really good defending, really, and it, it's something that you know if you were coaching. You know about players staying with the guy and not drawing a slap or giving a stupid tug and giving a handy free in. I thought that was a real example of that particular thing. Yeah, just talking about that early Eddie Brennan uh, chance because um, that came from two ground hurling balls, right? From the t- that came uh, it was a ground hurling ball. Uh, I think it was Comerford. There was and Wayne Sherlock slipped. I'm starting to think that ground hurling has a place in the modern game. May not defenders can't do it, but up front in the half forward line, there's nothing. There would be nothing wrong if there's a ball just on a loose on the ground, just giving a fast ground hurling ball into the full forward line. Why? why it shouldn't be. It shouldn't no, you're be, you're a hundred percent right. No, you're a hundred percent right. And I and you know, obviously, I'm I I'd still be a traditional style in. in Predominantly the way I approach the game as well, but there's nothing wrong with you know, you know, whipping on a ball and moving it in as you said. And I often say to some of the our midfielders and and half forwards, you know, if they get bottled up, just move it forward. Whether it's a hand pass twenty yards forward or a kick twenty yards forward, you know, generally those hand passes are are, are a kick. It'll be a low trajectory ball. That's all you want, you know. And it just it moves it forward. It turn it, it keeps the ball moving inside, and it gives the forwards an, a chance to get out inside because that's all you're talking about. It's it's turning that half back line and getting that ball in as fast as you can, whatever means. And I, I agree with you what exactly what you're saying in terms of the the quick ball, you know, whipped on on the ground. But you know, people think of ground hurling. They think, as you said, the half back line whipping on the ball, the full back line, or the midfield all whipping on the ball. That's gone. That's gone out of the game. You know, the yeah. attention to possession is just paramount now. And you don't see that anymore. Only the only time you see a lad whipping on the ball like that is if they know someone's in space and they're whipping it out of them. But definitely what you're talking about, um, there's still a place for it. Definitely. Because cause that's the thing. Because usually a half-back or a midfielder doing it. And like it, it could be loose and it could be just stopped. So it could hit a lad in front of him and it could be over the bar. So you're right, there's no place for it from the half-back line, from the full-back line is out of the question, although you wouldn't really see the full-back line doing it even back then. But definitely from the half-forward line, the 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 pros outweigh the cons for me because say a defender does win it, like he's off, you know, it, you're not giving the ball away in a very dangerous position. And in actual fact, with the pressure forwards are putting on anyways, you could potentially turn them over trying to come out with it because that's what, you know, they won't clear it now in the modern game anyway. So I'd be telling my whole half forward line, if you get onto a breaking ball there, I don't want to see you lift it up. I want to see you whipping it into the full forward line. Yeah, well, look, it's it's, it's all relative. I just think that there, there are certainly times, I think the way the game has gone and the way, 
you know, people, you know, the striking of the game has gone from hand. If a ball is broke out loose, generally they will pick it up. But I think there are times where maybe a ball might just bounce in the half forward line instead of picking it and moving with it or moving into where there's a huge amount of bodies. There, there, there are times whipping on that ball, you know, and driving it forward can really, really work. And and, and as I said, I believe that if someone's been bottled up in a tackle, you know, just hand passing it forward or kicking it forward is the same thing. It's just moving the ball fast inside to full party and get it into the danger zone. And that's one thing, in fairness to Michael Legging, you did hear him say that. The full forward line for Cork were rampant, you know, particularly in that second half. And the quicker they got the ball in, you know, the more scores came from it, you know, not just in play, but they won freeze as well. So, for all Cork's running style, and I know they, they, weren't, they weren't fully implying it all all out in that final, but th- when they got ball in fast, no. it, it did cause problems. Yeah, definitely. No, definitely. The Cork weren't at their brilliant best, or they hadn't nailed down that system, or else it was just the, the one-off kind of and game with the three grounds. I don't think they had it nailed down yet, because the half-back line, if you look a couple of times, they were still quick to strike the ball. You know, there was a couple of times John Gardner got the ball and just drove it. Um, you know, as the years progressed, he definitely used to, you know, dink it down the line or go on a solo run. Ron and Curran at one stage caught a ball, switched hands and drove it out over the sideline. You know, like, he he would not have done that in 2005 or 2006. No way. So it was definitely still a, a work in progress from a Cork perspective. And obviously, doing it in All-Ireland, you'd have to be hugely comfortable. And I think that came with time. You know, as I said, this all came from from Newtown's approach, um, Newtown Chandram's approach, and they were only after win that All Ireland two thousand and four. So it was a, it was definitely a mix of styles we saw in this this All Ireland two thousand and four. Yeah, another thing which was I thought was a good moment then it was Wayne Sherlock was caught for over carrying, uh, Kerry uh, forwards were all uh, you know hunting in packs and tracking them down. And Diamond said in the commentary said it's a big feature of the modern game. Forwards are expected to do the very same work as defenders. Like it's gas when you think when you think about how the game was starting to change this. So now in the one game we have a new a new puck out strategy. We have a team who's not clearing it over their shoulder, which is Cork ever. And yeah. they're running running it a lot more. And you have Kateni kind of bringing that ravenous forward work rate into it and turning the ball high up the field. You know, like, I mean, it's funny when you see the stuff we're seeing now in 2020 starting back then. Yeah, just starting to come in. And another thing that Cork didn't, didn't imply it in the final, I, I did notice a couple of the corner forwards trying it. Um, because as I said I have an insight into that style was where it, it lends itself to football so if a half forward line was, half forward player was breaking through instead of a corner forward breaking away from them you know and, and going maybe towards the goal they came to pop around the corner like you often see in football you know a hand pass come around the corner and, and you have a free shot at goal so I definitely noticed Jodine trying to do that a few times but it didn't just work off so that was another thing that was creeping into the game at the time um, you know again it was Cork innovating you know in terms of their, their running style so you're right 2004 it was a good match to pick because it was it was certainly you know a changing of the guard in terms of style and Cork became dominant for two or three years you know it wasn't really until Kenny you know turned them over um, in 2006 that you know that 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 running style kind of was off, nullified. Yeah, yeah you no, know, because for 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 practically the two years after this, Cork just totally dominated in terms of their running style. You know, and no other team could cope with it at all. Yeah, and like, I mean, there were some matchups in this game as well. Like I mean, you had Ben O'Connor on JJ. JJ obviously won that one hands down. Michael Cavan on Jordan. You know, like I mean, one of the great cornerbacks against you know another legendary Cork player. Noel Hickey versus Cork and Sean O versus. Um, versus Henry you know like I mean you some of the great Martin Comerford versus The Rock it was yeah. The Rock giving him a sneaky foot of a hurl into the back in the second half then as well did you, see, did you notice that it was picked up yeah and I don't I can't remember I can't recall if it was this game or the year previous where Dermot O'Sullivan was pulling the straps of the helmet I think it could have been the year previous so he was pulling the straps of the helmet off Martin Comerford so under a high ball wait, say maybe waiting for a, a puck out or um you know, a, a long free or something like that, then we're suddenly whipped the straps off, you know, Martin Comfort going mental, you know, obviously. And I think it was for that, it was, it was maybe 
it could have been this one, but it was definitely in, in another game then where he had to actually tape the straps onto his helmet so that there was no way he could actually, to ever sort of could pull them off. <laughs> so, you know, Jesus. it was all you're those right, little, right. little things, you know, all those little things that were kind of adding yeah. up. You know, Cork were willing, you know, to do whatever it took. And, like, you know, Don Loic and Dermot Sullivan were definitely to the fore of that, you know what I mean, in terms of, in backline, in terms of the defence. They, they, they just were we're just so and like, I'm not saying that in any way derogatory I'm saying this in a very much a admire, admiring way that they were willing to do whatever it took to win that to win that Ireland and stop them Kenny you, you mentioned Don Logue's puck outs um, they weren't working um, for the first 20 minutes he he wasn't getting the trajectory right in front of him JJ was catching him on Tommy Walsh was catching him on and these led our fans favourites and it was going kind of against Cork and Don Logue really went down to have a chat with Don Logue at one point did you notice that yeah, I went down to him and like, you know, you, you'd understand that, like, you know, <laughs> but it, it goes probably and, and probably explains a little bit of the dynamic between Don Logrady and, and, and Don Log. whereas, you know, most other managers in that situation would have sent down a runner um, or a selector and say, tell him to change that pretty quickly, you know what I mean? Or whereas he probably went down and actually had a conversation with him and look, obviously we don't know what, what the outcome was, but you know, there was obviously some some sort of talk happened there, but it wasn't just you do as you're told. You know, so it just shows an insight into the fact that Don Logue had a huge input into that poker strategy, and it wasn't just coming from from on top. Yeah, well, I say yeah, exactly. I'd say Don Grady didn't go down there and say do this. I'd say he went down and says, "What do you think?" <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I, I think like that's that really tells a lot about the management style of Donald O'Grady and he's interviewed straight after the game and if you if you said watching that he was very much complimentary yeah. of his backroom staff and the players and everything like that and that he facilitated it and that to me is like that's my take on it as well you know and from remembering back at that time is he did facilitate the, the strong characters within that dressing room and I love said the players loved him obviously as well Yeah we saw another big moment in this uh, match as well so Tommy Walsh bought a free off Timmy McCarthy where he got the yard on him and Tommy was great at this all, all his career where he'd get a yard ahead and then he cut straight across in front of him and he'd throw it, kind of throw himself back because he was small in stature he'd always get the free but DJ Carey came out to take it and that was the second one he missed um, and then King Henry the changing of the guard Henry yeah. Deflin was that the changing of the guard right there in that game? It certainly was because you know DJ had set himself. He placed the ball. I don't know whether the call came from Cody or did it come from Henry himself. But you know, in fairness to DJ, he just picked up the ball and he just handed it straight over to Sheffield. There was nothing about it. He didn't make any fuss. Um, you know, DJ was hitting the long range freeze, and it was a I suppose it was a a means of appeasing both players at the time. But you know, some pressure on Henry though. You know, he just like the mind of being not Ireland, the mind of being tight, but actually you know, being told to take that free over DJ Carey and just place the ball and nonchalantly just strike between the posts. I just thought it was it was an iconic moment, as you said, and it, it, it was just, it's just mental to think what Henry went on to do because, like, DJ was the star of the game at the time. You know, well, he was probably coming towards the end yeah. of the, at that stage of his career, but, you know, he was a massive, he was the first real star in the game, you know, and for... For Henry to come on, you know, as you said, changing of the guard, but like Henry has just eclipsed all records since. So it's just, it, it was a massive moment. Henry was a weird one. So he starts wing forward. He's put in a full forward and I think he's in the corner at, at another stage. He's, they're trying to get him into the game and he can't, he's not He's not having a good game. But Diamond said something in the co-com, which I thought was interesting. He said, this year, he said Henry should be centre-forward, which most of us would uh, agree with. He said the decision was made to move him off the centre-back as they were always the opposition's best players. And I was like, such a bizarre thing to do, you know, because, like, I mean, we all know the analysis is that centre-backs often hurl the centre-back position, so he actually could have, funnily enough, have a free roll, unless they thought that the centre-backs were too good in the air, and that's what he meant by that, you know, from puck-outs or something. I'm not too sure. Yeah, but I suppose there was a lot more centre-backs probably marked a good bit more even back then you know Ronan Curran was phenomenal in the air he was he was the strongest of the, the three in terms of catching the ball in that half-back line um, Sean Ogle was very strong 
um, generally stop the guy from catching it, John Gardner or something similar, but Ronan Curran was a serious operator in the air. So maybe they thought that, and John Hine was put in on him to go physically toe-to-toe with him. Um, and, and that maybe was their thinking behind it, but you often see teams do that, and it drives me mad. I just think, put your best hurlers in their best position and try and maximise everything you can out of it. Now, I know it paid off in other times when Kilkenny exploited defences where to put Henry on someone and, and he roasted them but I think in this particular game it probably would have made a little bit more sense to try him as a forward but look it's easy to have hindsight again after the event um, but you're right he couldn't get into the game the, the big mo- the big turning point was probably in that second half with that, that goal chance you know um, yeah hand pass I know, was slipping away from them before that it was but still if they scored it it was you know it was game on then you know what I mean like yeah. Unbelievable hand passing DJ. He showed, you know, his his handballing skills came into play there. We only saw glimpses of it from time to time in games, but you know what a hand pass saw. I think it was John Hine. Yeah, it was John Hine. The hand pass it just went to Henry's feet, you know, and Henry did the right thing. He yeah. he whipped at it because if he tried to control that, he was going to be bottled up, um, you know, and whipped at it and. Like Don Loke stood strong. How much of it he knew about it, I don't know. But obviously, he his body shape was in the right. You know the way a keeper should be. He was ready, and the ball probably hit him more than he saved it. Um, you know he was searching for the ball after, even when he saved it. He knew it was somewhere around his feet, but he couldn't find it. But uh, he got it up and got it out the field. But a uh, a brilliant save, and uh, you know it ended up going down the field, and and Jordan wins a free. Um, James Royal turns him upside down, and it was a, to me it was a massive moment. I I thought. If Kilkenny had scored that, anything could have happened, you know. But when when Carl yeah. scored, I thought you knew it was there. There then, that was straight down from that. Yeah, I think Fraggy Murphy turned this game turned this game around. Fraggy, I was surprised to hear this. Um, have to say that the commentary and the call commentary was outstanding for back in two thousand and four. They gave you positional switches. They gave you some little stats on the players. They gave you that you know the Henry. Uh, being moved off the centre back, they gave you little insights like that wherever you heard that. But anyway, Fraggy Murphy scored his fourth point in the whole of the championship um, in the second half, and he celebrated it. And Fraggy Murphy would be another bit of a character of the game. And then he got another one not long after. Um, current centre back caught caught a caught a puck out, and Cork took the lead then for the first time since the ninth minute. So kind of Fraggy Murphy not a prolific scorer. Maybe when you see a player, you know, who's not a prolific scorer or who hadn't scored that much that year and then celebrate it, you might kind of go through the team. This is, this could be our day here. Certainly. And the first one came from, you know, them turning over to Kenny, you know, and Noel Hickey, who didn't have a great day at the office, you know, he probably, he'd be disappointed he didn't get the block in on Fraggy Murphy. Now, it was a great score. The first one was a great score over his shoulder. But still, Noel Hickey looked like he'd done enough to close him down. And, you know, it was, a, as I said, a great score. The second one then, Noel Hickey been moved out to corner back. And he went bald-headed for the ball. And it just get it off the yeah. surface. And it beat him. And Fraggy Murphy just was in behind and just a simple tap-over point. But you're right, it was his two points added into Niall McCarthy getting three. You know, that's, that was the winner of the game. You know what I mean? Like so, there's there's your 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 five points that, you know, they weren't chipping in with a huge amount in terms of the scoring scoring stats. So there, there were big moments. But speaking of which, and it's something I want to talk about the pitch. If you recall back then, Willie, the pitch was a disaster. You know, it looked unbelievable from the stands and it looked unbelievable in telly. But you couldn't stand up in it, and we saw that loads of times. Players were slipping over, and one big moment was when Henry yeah. just fell over. Do you know? I remember you couldn't wear multi-studs at all. And a lot of players were. I was surprised they were. You had to wear six-stud at the time. Um, even, in, even, when, even in the middle of summer, the ground was rock hard. You'd have blisters maybe after it, but you just couldn't hold on to your feet at the time. And they obviously had to change the ground afterwards. Yeah, no, I remember. It was very, it was very slippy in around there. And you're right, because the, because it was watered so much, there was always enough giving it for the studs anyways. Do you know that, do you know that kind yeah. of way? It wasn't like your club pitch or whatever, which would be like the road. Croke Park always had a nice, you know, a nice step in it. Yeah. Um, so it was more, more for the, more for the stick, more for the six, uh, six stud. It was almost like I'm looking, looking at the game and, and you're thinking, geez, Cork, before I watched it, you know, you see the score and you kind of have it in your head and like, just Cork really pulled away with a bit of style in the second half. They didn't really, like, they kind of just, you know, Dygan kept saying if a, if a team plays for 10 minutes, they'll win it. And you're probably after saying the 10 minutes, the fraggy points, 
the McCarthy point, which was an inspirational one that he caught from a puck out and put it over his left-hand side under the stand, you know, and the way he scores points, it's almost like he puts his whole body and, you know, soul into getting that ball over the bar. And that was pretty much it, wasn't it? That was the 10 minutes kind of that you needed. And, you know, they they opened up the lead. And for for a team like Kenny, to just go out of it the way they did and hit wide and... I I was I was amazed, and apparently they hadn't been playing well all that year. It's a weird one, isn't it? Going for the three in a row and not just not playing well. Yeah, and like the second half statistics alone, eleven points to two. Do you know, like it, it's just something. Yeah. Like when would you ever think Kenny would do that? Like you know, nine points is all they scored. I was just looking it up. There it was the the lowest tally Kenny ever scored with Henry Shefflin on the team you know nine points and I think if, if my memory serves right in that commentary it was like they hadn't scored they never scored from the 47 minute on you know so that just tells you the fade out that they had and as you said they missed so many simple point scoring opportunities and players were passing the book then as well they were you know offloading there was one particular moment and Dignan did pull it up as well you know where Chaffin's Patrick had an easy score but hand passed it on instead it could have been to, to Martin Comfort or John Hine and they ended up winning the free but you know they were lucky to win a free because they, they, they were looking like they were running into trouble um, so it was very unlikely Kenny I think you know Eddie Brennan had a couple of simple point scoring opportunities for him and, and pushed them wide Henry off his left just completely mishit the ball. You'd never associate him with doing that. Um, and they didn't yeah. really, for a team going for three in a row, like they only made two substitutes. You know, uh, Noel Hickey stayed on the field. I just found that, like, you know, obviously he was man the match in the year previous and he was, he was a huge player psychologically for him. But when he got moved out to the corner, I thought he got, I thought he got roasted in the corner more than he got roasted at the fullback. You know, he was under pressure with Brian Corkin. I thought it was a great battle. Brian Corkin had only scored a point. Yeah, I didn't think he he got roasted, but I thought Fraggy Murphy no. thought just had too much pace for him, and just Noel Hickey just made mistake after mistake when he went out in the corner. And I just was, I was, I was almost waiting for him to be taken off, and he, and he wasn't. You know, and Kenny then, what I'm trying to say at the other end, did no one really come on either? You know, to to make a change. You know, Ken Coogan got taken off. It was Ken's. If I'm correct in this, I think he was his only appearance for Kenny. Like Ken was a, a another underage big talent in Kilkenny. I won a college all Ireland with Kieran's and he was much more at home in that half back line. He was tried sometimes at full back with WIT, but he was very much a centre back or a half back. And uh, had won under twenty one all Ireland with Kilkenny at that stage as well. And you know, midfield wasn't really his position. And that you know, he was gone off the panel I think the year after. So uh, you know, he was the the one of the only lads taken off. So and Charles Patrick, I think, was the other. So Kilkenny, as we say, if we're going for three yeah. in a row, didn't have a huge amount coming in off the bench to to try and change that game. No, you're definitely right. Because while Corcoran was causing Hickey problems in the first half, when they actually took Hickey off Corcoran, Corcoran hadn't really been in the game, right? Because I remember them saying in the yeah. commentary, James Ryle, James Ryle has gone in on Corcoran. I was like, she's a strange time to make that to make that switch and then obviously Hickey turned her, or sorry turned around and got uh, he got roasted in the corner off Fraggy Murphy so it was a weird change that time and then we had DJ in at full forward Eddie Brennan went out to wing forward like Kilkenny were all over the place weren't they really I suppose on the sideline it's hard to get back into the game when every single forward's been shunted around you know and it's hard to keep your I don't know continuity I suppose yeah and Look, obviously, DJ played a lot at full forward, you know, probably when he was younger and he was lightning and he could get you a goal. So they obviously were, were, were trying everything at that stage. But, like, you know, they had him in there, they had Henry in there, but they weren't really getting ball in. And the Cork half-back line had dropped really deep at that stage then as well because it was backs against the wall sort of stuff. Um, and, and Cork were just keeping it out in front of them and they were creating that space down the other end and, when they did deliver first ball, they were kind of catching them. I won't say the counter attack, but very, very like that. And that they were, you know, any ball they got in looked to be a huge amount of space down the Kilkenny full back line, and they were winning frees or, or getting points. So it just, you know, it was strange, strange second half because it was very tight and tense in that first half. You know, as we said, Kilkenny dominated hurling wise for the first twenty minutes, but Cork worked their way back into the game. Second half, it just kind of evened out for a long, long time, and it just. 
Cork kind of just stayed at the level, kept tipping away, kept getting their points. You know, it didn't blow Kilkenny away hurling-wise. I think you're 100% right in that. But just they kept the scoreboard taking over and got point after point, which just kept putting them further in front. And Kilkenny just weren't responding at all at the other end. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, we'll leave it there and we'll come back with performance of the weekend. Yeah, well, I'm glad you brought that up now because <laughs> there's no such thing as a media ban. We don't have a media ban. Ah, uh, you do? No, we don't. Um, but you didn't let Shamey talk at a, at a hurley launch one day. Yeah, but hold on a second now. He was at a hurley launch, you know. Yeah. You know, I, there's I, a media I, ban if he can't no, talk no, at that. No, absolutely not. I think you guys need to do your job. Don't depend on us guys for quotes, you know. Okay. But but no, earn, he, earn your living like the rest of us. But if he's at a media day and he says to the media that I'm not allowed to talk, then right. he's obviously on a ban. Well, I think he's carrying a mixed message. Okay, performance of the weekend, and the first uh, nomination for this is The Rock. Um, while uh, probably a little bit quieter in the first half, he had a fantastic last 20 minutes, uh, Brian. He really came into it and was that dom- dominating, um, dominating fullback. He was. And that, look, I just kind of kind of mentioned it earlier, was that Kilkenny started to maybe go a little bit more route one. They were becoming... Um, you know, they were probably chasing goals. There were there was a couple of easy point scoring opportunities and they started to kind of try and get the ball in first time, but just the rock put up a wall and he drove out with ball after ball and he, he, he was excellent, yeah. And it was amazing actually. We keep mentioning Michael Dyson here, but he I think you're right. I think the the Colcom there was, was amazing. He just mentioned that Don or sorry, um Dermot O'Sullivan is just concentrating hurling and is hurling really well and not trying to be the big hard man that he was trying over the last couple yeah. of years. I found that comment hilarious. I thought that was good too. I have it down here in the notes, and I, and he's probably right. And maybe the rock because it was the final year before where he was coming out trying to barge that out of the way and stuff, you know. And whereas in this game, he just seemed to want to do his job, didn't want to leave anything on anybody. Do you know, I was actually hoping to get the rock on the show today, but he couldn't uh, because of work to ask him to ask him about that. But again, like I'm not lying, Dyson and Canning were outstanding in this game. They certainly were, and it brought it to a new level. You know, you compare it when you listen back to other islands, you can see now why, you know, Michael Dignan is, you know, the, the main guy in her. It's still there, yeah. Yeah, you, know, you know, he's talking now 15, 16 more years, obviously. You know, it was, um, you know, he, he, he was the, he is the top guy in the game at the moment. Yeah, because I remember it was Tomas Mulcahy was doing the one in 96 that we did um, on Monday and he was very forgettable now and that, that he could have been his first game, you know, it might have been his first year doing it but uh, compared, his co-com compared to Dignan uh, eight years later was like, uh, it was like chalk and cheese. The Rock was the rock was crying at the end. Like there was a lot of emotion for Cork. They hadn't won it from 99. That doesn't sound like a long time but like, I mean, you know, they'd been beaten the year before and they'd put an awful lot into it. It's not often you see the Rock down on one knee crying. A world of hurt, and like, if I recall properly, they had already gone on strike, so there was a lot kind of riding on this. You know what I mean? Their yeah. first strike was. Oh, who was the strike? I think. Yeah. So yeah. So like, a lot was riding on this that they had to reach the holy grail, and this probably was that outpouring emotion was probably that you know outpouring of relief that they finally you know that big stance that they made for to try and improve everything, and got getting a manager to back the players, you know and their style and what they needed to impose in the game, it just worked. It finally worked. And I'd, I'd say that's, you know, what all lended itself from that perspective. And it was, you know, you know, in fairness to Cork in that first strike, they changed everything for all inter-county teams. Yeah, like, I'm not, I yeah. wouldn't be one for having strikes, but they certainly did because it really was the birth of, of the GEA, GPA, but it was the birth of, county boards having to cop on and start looking after players we're not talking about huge things but like back then it was it was just a joke you know in terms of expenses and gear and meals and all that sort of thing and in fairness to them they were the first to put their hand up and say look it's not good enough anymore so I'd say that all those things kind of tied in together to see that outpouring of grief there or not grief as I emotion yeah and like I mean people look back it's amazing uh, the way what you're after saying there, and you're right. 
that inter-county players would look back on Cork's stance as a heroic effort, but the general GEA population would look back on them as thinking that they're they're troublemakers and you know whippersnappers, which is it's it's gas, isn't it? Where inter-county players often are seen as the property of supporters and the property of county boards, and you'll do what you're told type of thing. Where Cork weren't afraid to say, "Here, that's not the way this is going to work." No, it's not. And look, I suppose 2002 was so, it was raw, you know, in terms of that strike. And Kilkenny didn't back them. And I think that's where a lot of it stemmed between those Cork players and, you know, the animosity off the field. Because, um, you know, and, and don't know, going on to call them Stepford, Stepford Wives and all that. But, um, you know, Cork made that stance in the league final in Turles where they wore their socks down by one or two players. Um, I think it was Kieran Murphy, his father or something was heavily involved at the county board and he still wore his socks up. Not Fraggy Murphy now, there was another <laughs> Kieran Murphy. And you know, right. and the Kilkenny players still wore their socks up because Cody said they're not having they're not having any of that because the Kilkenny players are well looked after. So that kind of lends itself into that whole psyche at the time as well. Um, the first Cork strike really was a watershed moment and it was a big moment and that was for the betterment. Obviously, they were doing it from their own perspective, first and foremost, but it was for the betterment of all counties in the long run. The second one is probably where they lost a lot of support from the general public because the second one was yeah. about a, a manager and they didn't want a particular manager and the way things were going. So they'd probably, you know, it's that fine line between where Don O'Grady facilitated players and made players great by their inclusion in what they were doing. And it had progressed that, they'd created a monster almost, you know, by the time they yeah. weren't accepting, you, you see, know, they, manager, they, unless it was to their liking for a finish, you know. But Yeah, but the thing, the thing, the thing was that, 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 that manager, obviously relations between the county board and the players were, were not great after the 2002 yeah. strike. And I suppose to, to go and pick a manager knowing that it was, it was a one It was basically two fingers back to the players, was, you know, wasn't it? It was, it was, yeah. It was. Look, you, listen, we're in charge here. Do what you're told. So, I, I do, I do accept what you're saying. That did turn the public against them a little bit for doing it again. But again, I can see it completely from their point of view as well. They're, this is a player versus administrator uh, issue. You know, it's, it was just basically we're not going to stand for just being told what to do and potentially lose a year with a manager that you've chosen that we don't want. So you can understand that as well. Like, I mean, time is precious. And you see it more, Galway have done it since. You know, Mayo footballers have done it since. Sometimes you have to just push back against these administrators who think they can do what they want. But sure, I saw it enoughly, and I'm not going to name them. We, we had one manager, and the players were asked, did they want to keep him? The, the, the captain and vice-captain rang around and said, did they want to keep him? I think it was nearly 90% of the players said no his time is up he's done a couple of years now and um, the county board put him back in for another year <laughs> you know and I remember at the time being yeah. just the straw you know it's just like okay you, you kind of have to go on with it. but there was a, a part of me going I wish we had a stronger panel almost that would just stand up and say no enough's enough now we're not going to do this but I think it was maybe lends itself to the reason why we never won anything as well maybe we didn't have strong enough characters to actually do that so I definitely see what you're saying as players and you know players that want to get on you can you can understand why why they went on strike the second time definitely um, it's just it's a horrible situation when it has to come to that I think that's that's the issue and you're right though it comes down to administration and them trying to be the the big dog essentially yeah yeah it's a it's a, it's a battle for, the, for, for power uh, probably JJ Laney is another nomination here um, phenomenal player phenomenal performance to put um, you could argue their best forward um, definitely best in their half forward line anyways and he, um, with Ben O'Connor um, he just had a nightmare he, he just had a nightmare JJ was just all over him in his head and he just couldn't beat him anyway really so uh, JJ Nine McCarthy we've obviously mentioned um, here Brian Here's a, another one, Niall McCarthy, because we're talking about helmets earlier. He didn't even fasten his helmet under his chin. But, like, what was going on with this? It just seemed to be sitting, sitting on the top of his head like a, like a baseball hat. He didn't even have the ear parts. Do you know the, the white parts that come Yeah, in, yeah, yeah. It didn't come down around so his he ear, didn't even yeah. have those ear parts. And it just, as you said, just sat on top of his head. Uh, the two-tone <laughs> green and white. So, that tells you everything about Niall McCarthy. 
um, we're all out. And I, I'm glad you kind of highlighted that point. It's just that, that point he got in the second half off the hurl and he fell over as well. His two feet went from under. Yeah. And it was just an unbelievable score. You know, like, Niall McCarthy was a sort of individual. That first point he got, right, just after halftime, where there was probably half a goal chance on, you still weren't even sure that he was going to score that point, you know, and he was straight in front of the goal. That's the type of player <laughs> Niall McCarthy was. No, and I don't mean that disrespectful. He was, he was very, very erratic in his shooting. You know, he, at centre forward, yeah. obviously, and, and that's kind of the point Dignam was making. You know, if you were, a centre forward will get a lot of opportunities, you know, because centre back does try to hurl a lot. And you're straight in front of the goal. You're in the best position in the goal and you're facing the goal. You're not like a full forward where you have to win the ball, turn and, you know, beat your man. Centre forward can get huge ones. And, and those chances were falling behind McCarthy time after time. And, you know, you weren't assured of him scoring. And as I said, that first one, you still weren't sure he was going to score. And then he gets that wonder point off underneath the stand. You know what I mean? Off the hurl after a great run and everything. Yeah. So I just, you knew his day was in then. And look, I think he, you can see why he was man the match and I think he deserved it in fairness to him. Definitely did. I'm not too, too, too sure if you're blown away with Sean O'Gahalpian's performance, but I thought he was, I thought he was outstanding. Um, especially with his, especially how he blotted uh, Henry, um, Henry out of the game. And I thought in the first half, especially, he hurled a good bit of ball. Yeah, I, do, I don't know. I suppose... I'm probably judging him too harshly on his really, really high standards. You know what I mean? And obviously, um, what am I to be saying? He got hurled or deer that year, but that was obviously his consistency over the, the whole year. You know, I just remember, and I marked myself, he was a nightmare to mark, just driving out a ball and you couldn't get near him. And um, yeah, I, he probably played a different role in that final where he just, you know, he he just shut down that wing. Um and I probably, I'm probably, as I said, judging him a little bit too harshly because I just probably have him on such a, a pedestal. Um, to me, he just was very, very functional that day. Probably all I needed. I suppose yeah. now the more, I'm, the more I'm talking it out, but I didn't think he was hugely um, stylish the way I'd expect him to be. That's probably the way I'd probably describe it. I remember in 1995 we played the Cork Minor Footballers in a challenge match. Um, it was in a Moor Park. And Sean Oak was playing midfield for Cork. I was playing cornerback um, for Leach Miners. And I remember looking at Sean Oak and just thinking, my God, I have never seen a better, bigger. He was about the same size as he was when he was playing senior as he was when he was minor. And he was just running through it, knocking us out of the way like we were children. Yeah. I remember just thinking, I am, I am nowhere near him. I, he just mm. thought, you know, and it's just completely other planet just he was just a specimen of a man and he was a great footballer too yeah and he was you know he was ripped as, as well as everything else you know what I mean he yeah was just, yeah he was so big he was imposing as you said and very very fast he'd long huge stride in his le- or length in his stride so he just keep going and keep getting away from you he didn't suit me um but uh, I used to try and hurl him in, uh, from a different perspective. You know, I'd try and um, move as much as I can if I was on him because I wouldn't try to get stuck underneath him because he was very, very strong in the air, as I said. Um, so, yeah, he was just, he was a specimen of a man. He maximised absolutely everything he had. Do you know, he, he obviously, he's a storied life himself, but, you know, he's, he, he is a great role model from that perspective. And uh, there's a famous picture of him, um, if you remember, uh, I don't know if you've, you've ever seen it, it's him... Um, he's in with Joe Hartman and he's doing um, doing some rehab work and he's he's down on the ground and he's got a medicine ball in his hand and he's doing oblique twists and he's just the six pack is ripped out you know so it just shows the shape <laughs> I think I did see that yeah no he was in outrageous shape altogether he definitely was a lot of it was natural as well right performance of the weekend I have to be Niall McCarthy. I'm, I'm pretty sure he must have got man of the match that day, did he? Um, he did, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Brian, hard to remember exactly. He got man of the match and he, he deserved it as well. Like, I mean, a player that takes a lot of stick, I think Diamond said about him. And I remember he did. And it's from the reason you're saying it, he take a lot of stick because of his wide. And it must be heartbreaking to be such a wholehearted player like him. But then knowing that you probably let yourself down sometimes with your shooting, you know, like, I mean, you're capable of brilliant points, but you're also capable of of missing some terrible ones and thinking of Timmy McCarthy 
um, there as well on that one. He did dreadful wide. He he wasn't a good striker at all for Timmy McCarthy, even though I think he scored three from playing the ninety nine final. Um, I was I was uh, looking at that going, how the hell did he did he do that? Especially when it was such a low scoring game. But uh, yeah, now McCarthy and Timmy McCarthy both on the half forward line, and you wouldn't know what they're going to do with it half the time. No, you wouldn't. But speaking to Timmy McCarthy, he, again, he was another hugely effective player. And a lot of people from the outside, again, would have looked at him and go, ah, he's very ordinary, isn't he? But he was he was, he was, was a go-to man for their puckouts because um, he was obviously so yeah. big and rangy. And, but he was very, very fast as well. And he just, he hounded halfbacks. That's generally what he did. He ran at them. He caused them problems. He turned them over. He didn't score a huge amount. And you know, it's, it's like what we're talking about. When they did chip in with scoring you know, two or three points. It was just massive for their team when, when players like that were doing it. And I do recall the one he missed, yeah. Uh, it was actually, it was another moment where JJ wrapped up um, Ben O'Connor, you know, pulled him into the tackle. Ben probably could have won a free in that particular case. Recycled it back out to Timmy McCarthy and it would have been an easy point scoring opportunity, but he pulled it to the right and wide. But uh, Timmy was another guy that was probably underrated outside of Cork. Um, I know players that marked him you know, would have had him, would have raised him very highly. You know, he might have been a fan favourite, but he certainly had players to play against him and with him would have had huge respect for him. Yeah, exactly. Right, Niall McCarthy, performance of the weekend. And that's it. Um, Brian, that's all we time for. We'll be back on Monday. We'll pick two more All-Ireland finals and uh, we'll talk to you then. Good luck. And when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going. So it opened up. We're only the small little fish out there, so we are. And uh, we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know. And it's just, I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Walford today because, like, I, I'm, heart, I'm heartbroken. I let it go.